Hello, hello. Good afternoon. You're listening to uclaradio.com. We're the menu. We switched our show with Came a Long Way this week. And we have a special guest in the booth today with us. If this is your first, first time tuning in, the menu is UCLA Radio's premier food show where we talk about all things food, culinary world, what it means to us, food in LA and abroad, <laughs> if everything else is abroad. Um, today we're joined by a very special guest, Stephanie Brejo. Woo! Um, Stephanie has been the editor for Time Out, LA's food and drink coverage and content since June 2017, but has also been an award-winning winning dining editor for Richmond Magazine and written for many other publications such as Washington Post and USA Today on food, music, and culture. We are very excited to have you on the show today. Thank you very much for coming on the program, Stephanie. Thank you guys for having me. Can you hear me? We can. Can cool. you hear us? Yes, I can. Okay, good. Cool. <laughs> um, so um, let's let's get right into it. Um, we'd like to talk. Oh, you know what? We have a, a segment. I almost forgot oh, our yeah. segment. Oh. Our weekly segment that we do. It's very easy. It's not challenging. Um, <laughs> what is there anything that you had this week that was great that you would like to tell listeners that you ate? Oh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> this morning, actually, I stopped by uh, Mari's Bagels in Silver Lake, which is basically his new brick and mortar. Uh, but Mari's has been around for a while, actually. He used to pop up. He's a bagel maker, um, essentially. And he uh, used to sell pretty regularly at Hollywood Farmer's Market and uh, pop up in Dinosaur Coffee. But now he has his own space, which is awesome. And you can get regular bagels. You can get like Zatar bagels. You can get, you know, whitefish spread. You can get, you can add roe to any bagel. It's like a little bougie. I kind of <laughs> like it. And, uh, and uh, last night I finally stopped by um, Melody Wine Bar, which is in Virgil Village, which is like across the street from um, Squirrel. <laughs> and uh, they do uh, sort of rotating pop-ups. And the one I went to last night was called Fog. And it's these two best friends who apparently used to hate each other. Uh, and <laughs> then they worked together in a kitchen at a place called Tamarind, and um, which is a, an Indian food restaurant. So a couple nights a week, they do an Indian food pop-up. And it was awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Um, Liz, what did you have this week? Um, this week? Um, well, I was in New York last weekend. And... I, um, one of the highlights of my trips was definitely going to Russ and Daughters, and um, they actually do a vegan tofu cream cheese, which was delicious. I thought I was going to get a lot of, like, tofu soy taste, and it didn't happen. And their bagels were amazing as well. And I also had their marble halva, and I love a good halva. It was so delicious. Um, So that, that was a good morning for me. Um, what about you, Henry? Um, well, I just had a salt and pepper Maury's bagels. Yes. Thanks to Stephanie. Stephanie brought us some bagels. Very kind. Um, very good. I like my bagel, bagels toasted usually, but that was delicious. I can still taste a little bit of the pepper. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. I don't think I've tasted <laughs> that pepper in a bagel too much. Um, so that was great. Um, I had a pretty good food week. I went to the LA Times Food Bowl um, one day. Um, got some stuff from Gwen which um, I didn't expect to be there because I think they're kind of fancy, right? A little fancy, a little but they, fancy. they have a, actually one of my like favorite little low-key things about Gwen is that you can go to the butcher shop case uh, on weekdays from I think it's like 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. and they have amazing sandwiches for like 12 bucks. I just saw that on your where to get the best sandwiches at Time Out LA. There you go. And I was so surprised you could get a sandwich there. That's fantastic. Um, I also had uh, something from Bunso Boys. Bunso Boys pop up, Filipino pop up, um, very good. Um, and then I went to a Dodger game for Mother's Day and decided I was not going to get a Dodger dog, and so I got like all these. Um, they were having sisig fries um, for. They had a recent event where all the baseball stadiums got together in LA and like showcased one item, um, and so they were still having that around as well as some other new stuff that Dodger Stadium decided to um, add because they were they were only there for the playoffs. Um, um, like um, esquite, esquite, which is like a lote, but it had tons of mayonnaise. Um, it was delicious. <laughs> and a pineapple hot dog. So that was fun. Um, 
And then um, last night, I went to Tatsu for the first time, um, which is crazy as a UCLA student. I should have been there before. Um, (laughs) But I had always opted for um, Tujita. Um, Mm -hmm. Which one do you prefer now? Mm. I think Tujita still. I like the thicker noodles. Mm -hmm. I do. I do. Mm -hmm. I do. And the pork is better at Tujita. Um, But I like the broth because it was less fatty. Tujita's broth is insanely fatty. Mm. Um, But that's what makes it good. Yeah, I think they do like a vegan broth that I love, actually. A tujita or a, mm-hmm. wow, very cool. I still cool. haven't tried tujita. Like a creamy, a creamy to. vegan. Mm. Oh, mm-hmm. I would probably like that. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, we can get started. Um, so, where did you grow up, and uh, how did the place you grew up um, impacted your I guess, food journey. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> and it, it has been a food journey. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it actually is um, pretty, pretty fantastic. Uh, and I think where I grew up actually has to do entirely with how I wound up in food um, and back in L.A. So I grew up out here, um, born at Cedar sinai rep in Cedar sinai And uh, yeah, so I grew up on the west side primarily. Um, Malibu specifically, which I hate to tell people because I think a lot of people have uh, preconceptions about like the types of people who live there or the affluence required to live there. But um, it is, you know, a a very remote city, uh, but it's also full of a lot of people who have, you know, they have grandparents who've purchased land, you know, decades ago and they're building their own houses and things like that. So I, uh, I grew up in L.A., and Malibu, and I grew up eating a lot of really incredible food, like uh, Malibu seafood, obviously a ton of fresh seafood, um, lots of Thai food over there, sushi, um, and then when we came into town, a lot of tacos. My mom was a very big uh, supporter of Chinatown, and when we would come downtown, we would almost always drive over to Chinatown, <laughs> like that extra five minutes, uh, to go and get some chow fun, which is still like my favorite mm-hmm. Chinese noodle mm-hmm. dish of all time. and. Um, yeah, I think that I think that it gave me like such a tremendous leg up in the world growing up in Los Angeles and having access to so many varieties and ethnicities and nationalities of foods uh, that, you know, I went to college on the East Coast and I know people who didn't try sushi until they were in college and things like that, whereas I was eating it from like, you know, the age of like seven. So I think that, uh, yeah, I do think that when you spend a lot of time in your formative years in Los Angeles, it might kind of give you an advantage to... Uh, to, to food just in general, not even if you uh, pursue it as a career, but just uh, as, a, as a diner of the world. Mm. I agree. I'm very lucky to have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have any sort of connection with writing or journalism um, before you went to college as, as you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, when I was in high school, um, I took a lot of sort of AP English classes, AP Lit, things like that. And I think that that was always sort of where I excelled uh, where it was English, sort of that track, um, and performing arts. And then I actually started college as a theater major. Mm. Um, realized, like, uh, I guess, so I, I did my freshman year at UCSD. And uh, so I think, like, maybe a quarter in or two quarters in, I realized I didn't want to do theater anymore, <laughs> like, very early. Uh, but I took this great 300-level class that totally kicked my ass. I think I wound up getting, like, a C in it. As, like, a freshman, I took this really advanced grammar class and basically they had us doing grammar charts uh which is like the most basic boring like diagramming of sentences uh and then the other half of that class was uh we would be given these sort of sample chapters from famous works and famous authors like sylvia plath or we'd get something from hemingway and just chapters from the middle of their books and we would have to write a chapter emulating their style so i found that to be fascinating and i thought to myself well i don't know that i want to go into writing fiction and I don't really want to study literature like what's a real world application and uh, I realized you know nonfiction writing and journalism so I started looking into that and uh, then I started studying that I transferred to a tiny liberal arts school on the east coast because I thought that was what college should be Mm -hmm. when you grow up here like I was like I want to get away to like Mm -hmm. you know a brick campus and you know all of these you know where there are like street posts and you know like little street lamps and quaint things and uh, I wound up going to this really fantastic college called uh, University of Mary Washington in Fredericksburg Virginia 
And when I moved there, everyone was like, what are you doing here? Why would you leave Los Angeles? Uh, but it was really beautiful, and um, the program was fantastic. And I uh, focused on journalism there. And this is probably way more information than any of you guys need or wanted. But uh, no, yeah. we do want it. Yes, we do. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, back then, um, and this is really going to age me, uh, I graduated in 2009. And when I graduated, food journalism was... Uh, it existed, obviously. There's, you know, Gourmet Mag, RIP, and uh, there were a number. I think Food 52 was sort of just starting up, and, you know, Bon Appetit, obviously, was was around. Um, but it was sort of right on that crest of, like, food bloggers and, you know, pre-Instagram, if you can even believe it. And uh, so when I graduated, I thought I would lean more into uh, sort of entertainment writing and news writing. But you know, maybe a year out of college, I was freelancing for this uh, sort of like cultural website in DC. And they started just putting me on food assignments because I'm also a photographer, so I could shoot and write at the same time. And they were like, why don't you do this? Because you can just do both and we don't have to staff two people. And I realized pretty quickly that that was sort of the best beat. Like food stories are, you know, they're intrinsically interesting. And obviously everybody wants to know about new restaurants and they want to know what does it look like and things like that. But, um, you know, food is... Food journalism is can be so much more than that. And behind every restaurant, there's a story or there are people behind it or there's, you know, a culture behind it about, you know, different dishes, about the way that they blend with necessarily, um, you know, the L.A. food scene. Are they holding to tradition? Are they embracing other aspects of Los Angeles in their food? There are so many aspects that make food writing, I, th- I mean, you know, I'm biased, but <laughs> the best the best beat in journalism. I really do believe it. Um, can you take us through how, um, you became the dining and beverage editor for Time Out LA? Yes. Uh, I don't know that this story is that, I mean, I guess it's a little interesting. So I, uh, I was living in Richmond, Virginia at the time and was the food editor of their city mag. And I'd been meaning to move back to LA. There were so many parts of my life and career when I was living back east where I was like, all right, maybe I'll move back now. And then I'd like, <laughs> something would happen or I'd like get a job or something. And I'd be like, okay, well, I'll stay a little while longer. But my whole family is out here. And so I, uh, I'd been meaning to come back for a long time. And uh, one of my best friends who is now at LA Mag, um, she's, you know, like their, I believe, deputy web editor. She's fantastic. I uh, mean, Brittany Martin. She at the time worked for Time Out LA and was like, you know, our food and beverage editor just left. You should apply for this. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not ready yet. Like, I think I want to move back at the end of 2017. I'm not ready to move across the country. And a couple months went by and she was like, we still haven't found anyone. I think you should apply. And uh, I did, not thinking I was going to get it. Uh, And then I got it. And then I had to pick up my whole life and move across (laughs) the country in like a matter of like two and a half weeks. So that was uh, insane, completely insane with the cat in the backseat, like (laughs) driving across the country. Uh, with my boyfriend, who was kind enough to offer to help me, um, who is also from here. Um, but, yeah, it uh, it was kind of wild. But I think that it all sort of wound up timing out, you know, perfectly. And I really love Time Out. It's, uh, I love that we're here in L.A. You know, Time Out started 51 years yeah. ago in London this year. Um, and it started in New York a couple decades ago. Uh, and it's Fairly still, I mean, relatively new in Los Angeles. We've only been here about five or six years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really, really proud of the work we do, especially with such a, a tight, tiny team. Uh, I think that we're, we're able to accomplish a lot. And it's kind of neat being part of such a legacy brand that's, you know, uh, internationally known. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. limited in scope. It's, it's all over, which is wild. Um, but, yeah, that's sort of how this came about. Wow. That sounds amazing and exciting. <laughs> um, so what do you do for Time Out LA exactly? What does the dining and beverage editor do? That is a great question. Uh, so a little bit of everything. And obviously, any sort of editor uh, position any anywhere is going to vary. Um, currently, so at Time Out, I oversee all of our dining and beverage coverage, which means that I usually am responsible for writing a lot of it. We also have a chief dining critic named Simon Majumdar, who is fantastic. He's also a Food ah, Network judge. I know Simon Majumdar. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> he's our chief dining critic. He's wonderful. He writes one wow. to two reviews a week for us. Fantastic. He is wonderful. Uh, a, a total delight and just so intelligent and smart and, and witty. 
uh, and I'm so thrilled that he wanted to write for us. And uh, I love working with him. And so he, I oversee, you know, uh, coordinating his reviews. I oversee coordinating our uh, photographer that we use for all those reviews and uh, myriad other things. And uh, we also do a quarterly magazine. So we are releasing our next one on June 5th is very exciting. So we're kind of in the throes of galleying, which is when we get the sort of printouts of everything, every page, and then we go over it with a fine tooth comb, um, you know, address layout tweaks, things like that that need to happen. Um, and then, yeah, we uh, we do a lot of guides, as, as you noticed mm-hmm. with our best sandwiches the other day. Uh, we do a ton of guides. So I also am in charge of updating those and also assigning out new ones. So we just had uh, a really great freelancer named Wilder Shaw uh, do one on breakfast burritos uh, a month mm-hmm. or two ago. And, you know, basically just upkeep. We do mm-hmm. a lot of daily content and <laughs> a lot of sort of what we call evergreen content, which are those guides, uh, because people are always going to want to know, you know, what are the mm-hmm. best fine dining restaurants? What are the best sandwich shops? What are the best bagels? What are the best ice cream parlors? Things like that. So we're constantly updating those and adding to the website. Um, what is your... Uh working life like are you are you running around LA constantly do you have an office um what does your schedule look like as an editor oh my god that's a great question and both of those things for (laughs) sure Uh, I am running around constantly and we also have an office we are based in downtown uh which is awesome um especially because going downtown was so exciting for me when I was a kid it's so wild to be able to work there now uh every day I feel like such a grown-up um but yeah I basically I'm in the office on pretty much every weekday, but sometimes there will be, you know, like an opening or something. And actually, I have a shoot right after this interview. Since I'm already on the west side, I set up Mm -hmm. a walkthrough of a new place that I cannot mention because you never know if uh, Farley from Peter is listening, (laughs) which he very well could be, Uh, you know, and I love beating him to stories because I know it drives him absolutely nuts. So I'm going to go and uh, tour a new space uh, shortly after this interview. But so, you know, I'll duck out sometimes to uh, take some photos of a new space, do walkthroughs, um, do interviews, things like that. Uh, and then I'm also usually out at night. I think I eat out maybe at least four to five nights a week, wow. uh, sometimes more, you know, especially mm-hmm. with you mentioned Food Bowl earlier, the LA Times sort of month long series. They have so many events and they do such a great job of it. And um, like they have fantastic curation and there's always something going on. So, you know, you want to you want to be at all these things, and especially when you have the opportunity to be at something like a pop-up for someplace you've never been, because those are, you know, even if you want to go home and just eat leftovers, you know that you should go out to these things because they might be in the next restaurant, and you want to familiarize yourself with that. So there's constantly this this need to explore, which I think is maybe, you know, the hallmark, ideally, of a, of a good journalist is that sort of curiosity. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, basically always out, uh, <laughs> sometimes tired, do a lot of under eye masks. Uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's a it's a, it's a pretty demanding job. There's not a lot of um, separation between, you know, sort of work life and mm-hmm. personal life. But I think that if you uh, are OK with that, then, you know, this is sort of an ideal for you. If you're constantly out meeting people and talking about things and exploring, it's it's kind of a, kind of the best of both worlds. Mm hmm. And um, as the editor, what um, what do you look for in a piece that's going to be published? Ooh, um, I think it depends on the piece in question. I think that, uh, you know, you want to give context to anything. Um, you want, I mean, there's also, so anytime that you're writing for a publication, there's also sort of a style guide or tone for every publication that you write for. And every publication is going to be different. And at Time Out, we uh, want to be conversational, but, you know, fun. Like, my, mm-hmm. my goal is to give Los Angeles information, tell them new things, but, you know, make it fun. Like, try and think of a snappy lead uh, or a kicker, which is sort of the very end of a piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, something that's going to draw them in, something that's going to differentiate it from just, like, a very hard news line uh, that just tells you who, what, where, when, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So you want to you wanna keep things engaging. You want to make things familiar. You want to sort of... Um, you want to draw people in. You want to give them all the pertinent information that you can uh, with, you know, context. Has this person opened a restaurant before? Would they have tried their food anywhere else? Uh, how long have they been trying to open this concept? Mm-hmm. Are they open one day a week? You know, things that are necessary information. 
Uh, and then, of course, pointing people back towards any other relative content that we have. Um, so yeah, engaging, thorough, uh, accurate, also mm -hmm. obviously <laughs> a big thing for journalism, you have to be accurate. Uh, but yeah, you know, draw people in. Don't, you know, just give them a rundown of what's happening, you know, mm -hmm. converse. Um, also, I was wondering, you said you were going to check out a new space today. Mm -hmm. Do you take your own photographs? I do. Yeah, I do almost almost all the time when I go someplace. Uh, for the most part, a lot of restaurants, thankfully, will hire photographers to take high-res photos. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, if I'm reporting on someplace that's opening, let's say I wasn't coming west side uh, and I wouldn't be able to make it for like another week or so. If, they're, if the restaurant or the PR representing them happens to uh, send me, you know, 20 high-res mm -hmm. photos, I can pick and choose and then get a post up and say, here's a peek inside and run someone else's photos, uh, which is really wonderful and convenient because I am, I have freelancers, but I am a team of one, so mm -hmm. it makes running around and getting everything uh, really, really challenging. Um, so normally I do take my own photos, but sometimes we run others, and we also have a, a freelance photographer named uh, Jesse Shu who is fantastic. Um, but yeah, I think that that uh, sort of ties into the, the grander uh, sort of issue with LA food journalism right now, or one of the grander issues is that we have so many openings. We've had uh, such a rapid succession of openings in the last year that it is impossible to cover them all, mm -hmm. and it is mm -hmm. impossible for everyone to be everywhere at the same time. And I've, you know, thankfully the LA Times has done uh, a really incredible job lately, and they've beefed up their staff, and now they have multiple food writers, and it is it is so, uh, you know, it's encouraging to see that that still exists in media, this belief in food journalism. But, um, yeah, I mean, on the whole, it feels like food journalism is, is shrinking uh, nationwide, worldwide, and especially in Los Angeles. But, um, you know, so it, it, there are only a few of us trying to cover so much ground and mm -hmm. so many, like an unprecedented number of openings. Um, and it makes it really, really hard to try and feel like you can do enough um, or enough of a service to the food scene. But, you know, I think we're trying the best. And there are a number of local sort of publications that are popping up. Like there's The Land magazine, um, which is a lot of former LA Weekly editors, and that's a really fantastic publication that just launched. Uh, LA Taco is another example. You know, there, there are a couple more that are in the process of launching too. So, you know, keep your eye out on local media and support it all you can. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for all the journalism you guys are doing. Okay. <laughs> like I said, Forever grateful. we're trying. Uh, it is so hard to keep up with all of the openings and to really feel, especially with, you know, like we, there are some days where I, I write one story and I update three guides and I'm like, did I even make a dent? Like there's so, <laughs> there's just so much. Uh, and it is it is really really truly really truly difficult to uh, to try and to try and feel like you're doing it justice. But again, I think I think everyone is is trying their best. Mm -hmm. um, you talked a little bit about visual um, meet the visual medium and how that's really um, almost taking over. Um, how do you think you and um, Time Out and maybe other publications you've worked with, uh, maybe publications in general, have tried to adapt to um, the overwhelming presence of visual media over um, a written piece um, that might evoke a, you know a different emotion that we used to we were used to having before visual medium came about oh my god oh well I mean there was the whole uh, catastrophe of uh, Facebook pivoting to video I guess with that their report saying, we're pivoting to video. And then a lot of newsrooms laid off a lot of their editorial staff. This has happened within the last, like, five years. And, uh, and then we realized a few months ago that Facebook came out and said, actually, that might have been an inflated figure. That's not correct uh, because a lot of publications had already pivoted to video, and then it turns out that maybe that was not necessarily uh, accurate, and a lot of journalists sort of lost their jobs. So we've, as a, as a medium, the visual... It's, I think that visual, uh, a visual side is so absolutely important. Is it more important than the written word or, you know, how journalism existed pre-video content or Instagram or things like that? Um, no, absolutely not. But I think that if you look back at photojournalism, which has existed for, I mean, really a, a couple centuries, it's, 
it's always gone hand in hand. I think that in food journalism specifically, uh, it is absolutely necessary. You know, people always joke if you're at a table with, you know, a million people who want to dig into their food, they and they want to take a photo first. They, uh, you know, they joke that the camera eats first mm-hmm. is kind of the saying. But um, it really is true. And that's why, I mean, there are, you know, thousands of food Instagram accounts. I know that I kind of have one as my personal one now. <laughs> but, I mean, people who are not food editors, people who just enjoy eating or enjoy photography but enjoy photos of food. I mean, there is something so visually appealing about uh, a gorgeous plate of food or, you know, avocado toast with some flower petals on it, you know, like a really, mm-hmm. you know the kind of quintessential, quote-unquote, L.A. dining. Uh, but, and I, I definitely say, quote-unquote, there uh, intentionally. <laughs> it's, um, you know, I think that food lends itself uh, particularly well, but do I think that it is more important than uh, perhaps a, a write-through? Uh, no, not necessarily. But I, I do think that they are both tandem. Mm-hmm. And what do you think the role is? You Because you mentioned, you know, not editors, but, you know, people with social media accounts posting pictures of food. What do you think their impact on the um, dining culture in L.A. is? Oh, my God. What a question. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, um, I hear a lot of complaints, and probably justly so, about uh, chefs trying to make food that is Instagrammable, um, trying to make something that looks good that people will want to come in and take photos of. That's why you'll always see uh, those just like absurd creations or like, you know, like a like boba tea with a piece of cake stuck through this. <laughs> you know, like that. <laughs> that's sort of uh, what Instagram uh, hath wrought. But I, you know, and I don't know that that's necessarily a great thing. But also, you know, on the other hand, I see stuff like that and I'm like, you know, let people have their fun. Let people eat what they want to eat. <laughs> and if they want to take a photo of that, like, let them do it. And, you know. I do think that as much as sub chefs and restaurants complain about that, you know, it is at the end of the day, whether or not they decide to, you know, make food that plays into that. um, It's publicity. It's free publicity. You know, it's people are taking photos and posting and sharing because people are excited about it. And I, you know, sometimes I I love and hate social media, but I I do love Instagram. I do. It's probably my favorite platform, (laughs) I would say. (laughs) Me too. Yeah, I love it. Um, so there's, um, there's a lot of, um, upkeep you talked about a lot of maintaining like lists and, um, stuff like that. Um, and there's in food journalism, there's a, uh, a lot of best lists and like, um, uh, outrageous burgers and stuff like that. <laughs> and don't get me wrong. I love, I, I go on a list every single day, probably. And so it's my favorite <laughs> thing. Um, I'm just curious, is there for publications in general, um, and maybe as an editor, do you, is there um, a desire or maybe um, a necessity to write, um, I don't want to, what's the word, like more meaty or um, co- pieces that inform um, LA food culture um, more so than lists? Uh, are you asking me if I'm creatively fulfilled <laughs> writing lists a lot? Uh, that's a dangerous question uh, with a probably a dangerous answer. But uh, no, I, I, I think that there is a huge need for those lists. I think that there is also a huge need for those sort of long form pieces. Um, we don't specialize in those necessarily, uh, but I love them so much and I do miss writing them at times. Um, but I there's nothing really... There aren't a lot of things aside from, I guess, being pulled in a million directions uh, that would theoretically stop me from doing those. Um, I think that there is, like I said, within the L.A. food media scene, there are so few of us and there is so much news all the time that I think that every sort of piece of media is necessary right now. Uh, The long form pieces that really dig deep into that one taco place in East L.A. and the people behind it um, where you spend, you know, somebody spends an overnight there. Uh, I think that, you know, the videos, um, Lucas Peterson from LA Times was posting a video. They were um, watching tortillas get made yesterday. Like, that is necessary. Um, a guide to sandwich shops is necessary for readers. Uh, you know, Eater writing about this new thing is coming, you know, that's or this thing is closing. That's necessary. Uh, and that's not to say that everyone doesn't do 
uh, more than that, you know, that's not to say that Eater doesn't do long form pieces or that's not to say that Lucas doesn't write in addition to these like, you know, going on site and seeing tortillas get made and things like that and posting videos. But, you know, I think that uh, literally every every piece of media right now um, and Andy at Food and Wine does really incredible deep dives on chefs and things like that. Like every piece is necessary <laughs> because there is just so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's for for the restaurant community itself. There are stories that are necessary for, you know, the diners of L.A. It is necessary uh, for the other food media in L.A. to be aware it's necessary. Like every every format of journalism right now, <laughs> we need all of it um, because there are just not enough of us. Um, yeah, so um, speaking of necessity of journalism, um, you also mentioned a little bit of competition between <laughs> <laughs> journalists. So I was wondering, like, how how that how that works. Like, what sort of competition and like what are the dynamics? Oh my kind god, of the gossip. Yeah. I mean, is <laughs> it dynamics. friendly? Is it is it a friendly atmosphere? Oh, like, is it c- competitive? Like, what's the deal? I mean, it's both. <laughs> uh, you know, it's actually it's funny. So I've never um, lived in New York, uh, and I love it. It is of course, one of my favorite cities, but uh, I have never lived or worked in New York. And from what I have heard from numerous, numerous food writers who have moved from New York to Los Angeles, because by the way, like half of them are doing that. They're Mm -hmm. all coming here. (laughs) LA is the best. Uh, But, (laughs) you know, I I hear that uh, a lot of people are shocked when they come to the LA food media scene because it is so much more friendly and congenial than I guess it is in New York where it is very cutthroat. And that's not to say that uh, people here aren't competitive because I think that, I think we all are. Like I, I think I know almost every uh, food editor and major food writer in LA and I'm, I'm, you know, we're all pretty competitive, but uh, it is so friendly and a lot of people are so understanding of the other writer's audience, the other writer's needs. Um, the type of story that they're writing versus the type of coverage that you will do. And I think that that sort of aids, uh, you know, that sort of understanding aids the the sort of a congenial nature that we, we all keep up. Uh, it's, it's definitely competitive and you want to be the first person to break a story. But, you know, if you're not, it's still going to be new to someone. It's going to be new to most of your readers. It's, you know, and you might do a completely different sort of spinoff coverage of it. And, uh, like I said, at, at the end of the day, it's all about doing uh, Los Angeles readers and eaters uh, and, you know, the dining scene in general uh, a service. So, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of who gets to it first, you report on it because you want to help the community and you want to inform the community. Um, you you also seem to be um, a pretty diverse journalist journalist in, in the topics that you have covered and still cover. Um seeing you have some pieces on science and um, music. Um, how do you approach or how, you know, have you approached um, writing on varied topics like that? Oh, my God. I mean, it's a lot of it is just what interests you. Um, one of my favorite science pieces was my interview with uh, Mary Roach. And uh, she is one of my favorite nonfiction authors. And it's just one of those things where, you know, I loved her new book uh, or then new book. That was, I think, on... Um, Grunt, I think, was that the one? Uh, that was her uh, book on science in the military. And uh, I found that to be really fascinating. And this is when I was living in D.C. She was coming to do a talk, and I did an interview with that. Uh, another favorite non-food piece was on air guitar, which is, like, such a bizarre thing <laughs> that I love so much. So there, uh, it's an actual international uh, championship. And, you know, the U.S. Air Guitar Championship is uh, happens. It's like a tour. It goes all through cities. People get on stage. They have routines. There's like a, a rubric on which they're graded. It is wild. And then I believe the actual the international championships are held in Oslo. Um, and, you know, it is such a weird culture. And I think when I was when I was living in D.C., I went to I just happened to go to one of those events. And I was like, this is so bizarre. I have to write about this. And I did. And um, I think you know, it's uh, it all comes back to, like I was saying earlier, about um, curiosity, right? Like if you see or read something and you're like, that's weird, uh, and you want to find out more about it, and then you wind up finding more about it, you want to tell people. And, you know, uh, you 
hopefully have contacts at a local media organization or you work already for a local media organization and you want to share that information. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of writing about just a variety of topics, just, you know, always be curious, uh, always be learning about everything that you possibly can. And, you know, hopefully you'll want to share it. Um, so let's talk about food <laughs> a little bit. Our favorite topic. Um, what are some of the new openings in Los Angeles that excite you at the moment? Minus the one you're going to right after this. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, minus that. Which, I, by the way, I am so sad that I won't talk about that because <laughs> I, I am really thrilled and I don't know a ton about it, but um, the person behind it is just one of my absolute uh, favorite people in the scene. Just a, a total madman. So um, <laughs> I can't wait, but there will be a post up on uh, Time Out about it probably by like Monday morning at latest. Uh, if you're curious about what that was. And uh, no, I mean, I think uh, there are a lot of really great things to look forward to. Um, you know, looking ahead the next few months, obviously, I'm really excited about Antico is one of my big ones for the year. That's Chad Colby's restaurant. He was the chef at Kispaka for a really long time, mm -hmm. which is sort of Nancy Silverton's uh, Italian sort of steakhouse. Um, he is wildly talented and uh, he's opening a restaurant that is going to be sort of a rustic Italian thing. He's going to have a really great charcuterie program. Um, he spent so much time traveling in Italy to prep for this. Uh, you know, he also, he, he told me that he was buying the sort of like hand rolled pasta machines from like the little old like grandmas on the streets. And he just like would approach them and ask if he could purchase one. And they were like looked at him like he was crazy because they're like, why do you want to buy this like 60-year-old piece of pasta crap that is so exciting. So he'll be making pasta on, on things like that. Oh and it's got a big uh, open sort of kitchen where you'll be able to see the, the action happen and uh, like a little counter where you'll be able to see him work. Um, so that's a big one on my list. Uh, Enrique Olvera is coming, oh. obviously, um, which is going to be cool. And that's going to be downtown, which is really exciting. Um, you know, Jessica Coslow's new restaurant that she's opening um, – you know, is is going to be really fantastic with Gabriella Camara. Um, so, you know, we've got a lot of big names coming, and then we've had a lot of big openings. Oh, and Birdie G's, which is uh, Jeremy Fox yeah. from uh, Rustic Canyon. Mm -hmm. He's opening, mm -hmm. you know, this sort of, like, upscale, southern, sort like, Midwestern kind of comfort food, which I'm going to be, like, so curious to see. In and, Bergamot um, Station, right? Yeah, yeah in Bergamot Station. Exciting. Not too far from you guys. Yeah. Uh, and they also just opened a, a slice shop, too, in Santa Monica, which I haven't been to yet. Um, really? That, the Rustic Canyon group? Mm -hmm. really? Rustic Canyon, yeah, a little slice shop. I okay. know, there's so much happening all <laughs> the goddamn time. Yeah. Uh, it is, like, in, even for those of us who are in charge of, like, it is our literal job to make sure that we understand all of these things and these moving parts and these players, there is so much happening it is, it like, <laughs> will make your head spin. It's hard for us to even keep track. Um, uh, Yubo um, is uh, considered widely to be one of the best um, Chinese chefs in the world, uh, specializing in um, Sichuan cuisine. Mm. And he is allegedly still opening a tasting menu later this year. Um, oh. He's actually doing a uh, preview brunch sort of a thing at Major Domo on Sunday, which I'm going to try and go to to get a little glimpse of, uh, mm -hmm. of his cooking. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, there's so much. And we've already had so much. I mean, the manufacturing was such a big yeah. one that already yeah. opened. I mean, there's so there's so much. <laughs> do you get, um, a, like, um, what do you call that? I don't know if the stipend is the right word, but a stipend for, for eating? For I your, do. Okay. Yeah, 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 I do. Um, I'm sure that, you know, much like everyone who covers this, we wish, you know, always it were larger. But I'm yeah. so grateful that I do get one. Um, you know, and the company is also great about... Uh, reimbursing for gas and mileage oh, because wow. Los Angeles is a giant city and we are constantly pinging back and forth around the city. Uh, you know, oh, a restaurant that opened recently that I, I really enjoyed was Yours Truly in Venice. I drove all the way out there. I love that one. Um, yeah, Bartana is very, very, very talented. Uh, yeah, there's just, there's so much <laughs> all the time, <laughs> all over the place. Yeah, do you have a list? Like, how do you keep track of all of that? <laughs> I, it's I, chaotic. It is. I mean, <laughs> it is. I mean, there is. There has to be some sort of method to it, right? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do keep a list of spots that I want to visit, uh, and even smaller spots that I might like. We were talking about Instagram. You know, it's not just a tool for visual media. If you work in food, it's actually uh, very useful in terms of finding out about new things. Mm -hmm. Like, you'll you'll maybe you know see someone 
comment on somebody that you know and they've got like a food in their name and you've never seen their handle before and you click it and they're sort of an up and coming project trying to get off the ground that you never knew about before. Like you can find all these little clues uh, about openings and new projects and things like that just, you know, by paying attention. And um, so, yeah, but I, I back to Instagram, I will frequently <laughs> screenshot like I have a whole folder of, you know, screenshotted places that I want to go check out on my on my phone. And, uh, you know, I keep a, an open doc of story ideas, stories that are currently in progress. Um, we also do like a pretty comprehensive best of list at the end of the year. We do best new restaurants of the year. We do best new bars of the year. Last year, we also did uh, a roundup on, you know, sort of rebrands because a restaurant doesn't always have to stay the same, right? A restaurant could completely decide to change its concept, you know, two months in or three years in or something like that. And then it might not get included on one of those lists because it's still the same restaurant, but it's just different. So, you know, uh, we do stuff like that also to shed a little bit of light on, you know, maybe the stuff that doesn't necessarily get major coverage like a new new restaurant would get so uh, I also keep a running tally of all of those throughout the year so that at the end of it I can go back and look and see you know what have I loved what have I not loved what's on the border that I need to revisit things like that um you were mentioning sort of Instagram and up and coming um uh folks in the scene and I think that's where pop-ups um are coming into play um you know I'm not old enough really to recognize if that's been a phenomenon past, you know, five years ago. But for me, it mm-hmm. seems like they're everywhere now. So many. What, so many. What do you think um, that means? A pop-up, and I guess for listeners, pop-ups are um, chefs who want who don't have a brick-and-mortar place, but they still want to cook and serve. Um, yeah, what do you think that, that's what's going on? Well, I mean, I think that it's, uh, I think pop-ups have always been a thing, but I think especially in terms of how they relate to Instagram, it is much easier to market your pop-up than it ever was before. Uh, So much like, you know, you don't need a brick-and-mortar space if you're a pop-up. You also don't need to necessarily hire PR if you're a pop-up and you're just sort of starting to find your sea legs. Like you, you know, you might not want to go all in on paying someone a couple thousand dollars a month or something like that if you don't quite know what you are yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, So using Instagram, why you see so many pop-ups on Instagram is, I believe, because they can get word out about their, you know, and they can, you know, start following a lot of food editors and hopefully try and get on the radar of of food writers in L.A. and get people to notice them um, without having to sort of commit too much to rent Mm -hmm. or hiring someone to market them or, you know, anything like that. But uh, you know, I'm I'm all for it. I love our pop up scene. Like, absolutely. There's a there's a new pop up that I'm really into called um, Dondi that is by two Rustic Canyon alums, and they are doing like really interesting uh, modern Korean food, sort of like a, they're doing like a like a beef tongue gym tostada with like you know uh, draped in provolone cheese, and then like. <laughs> covered in these like chive blossoms like it's really beautiful but it's really flavorful and it's really interesting and I really uh, appreciate what they're doing and they're brand new they've done two dinners so far and they've actually they're doing another couple in a couple days at Button Mash if you guys are yeah Um, but yeah and they're they're Dandi D-A-N-D-I and uh, you know I I think that the pop-up scene much like the the taco scene in Los Angeles is such a vital part of our community because, you know, how else can you explore? Can you pop up? Can you sort of build a following? You know, mm-hmm. and it's I want to support these places also because they're, you know, they're uh, they're hoping to to be a, a thing. You know, they're hoping to be noticed. They're hoping to to get the word out about themselves. And, you know, they're smaller and, you know, maybe not as mighty as a giant mm-hmm. restaurant group, but, you know, not undeserving of our attention. Yeah. And can serve damn good food. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, we have pop-ups, we have great chefs coming into Los Angeles. We have so many great things happening for us right now, which is exciting. But what do you think one of the biggest problems Los Angeles food scene is going through right now? <sighs> um, I think, uh, you know, I think that we have maybe, I don't, I don't want to say too many restaurants. I do worry a lot about some sort of a bubble. And that's not to say that LA restaurants aren't strong enough that they could sustain mm-hmm. um, a lot of competition. But I spend a lot of time 
worrying about the general state of our country. Mm. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think about the economy. And again, I, you know, not to age myself again, but I graduated in 09, which was the recession. Uh, Probably, you know, one of the worst times to graduate (laughs) in like the last, you know, 30 years. But, uh, you know, I and I, you know, having been through that uh, and living through that and trying to find a job in that. And, you know, I think about what, what is going to happen when our economy tanks next? Uh, because, you know, it always happens. It mm-hmm. comes in waves. And uh, unfortunately, it, it will come again. And, you know, I worry about what restaurants can do to stay viable, you know, mm-hmm. and who will survive those kinds of things. Will they be? I mean, I think a lot of neighborhood restaurants are probably the most safe of all restaurant concepts, because if there is something that is affordable and approachable and someplace that people can go in their neighborhood, something they can bring their kids to, things like that. Um, people are always going to go back to that. Um, showier things, big tasting menus, who knows? Uh, you know, but it's, yeah, um, expendable dining cost is kind of one of the first things that Americans are shown to to cut mm. in, in time of economic downturn. And so, I, you know, I think about that a lot. Are there too many mm-hmm. restaurants or are we going to see a lot of closures in the next few years due to, you know, that or just you know, too many, too many places and an abundance of, of options. Mm-hmm. That's, that's actually so interesting to me because I'm originally from Istanbul, Turkey. And even, and that's kind of like a common theme in Europe in general, even like if you're like economically struggling, the country is in recession, people are still out eating. That's one of our, like, that's part of our daily lives to go out and eat and drink all the time. So um, seeing the opposite of that in the United States is so interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people still eat. Don't obviously. People, <laughs> yeah. People, people yeah. will absolutely still eat, but yeah. it's really are they going to be splurging as much as they mm-hmm. were? Are they going to be going out? You know, um, to a, you know, two hundred dollar tasting menu. Mm. Are they? You know, it's. And that's why I think yeah. you know it's. Uh, I wonder a lot about what will happen, since I mean we already have a lot of restaurants and we have a shortage of. Uh, back of house and front of house staff. Yeah. I mean, there's there's tons uh, tons of restaurants here. I mean, mm-hmm. thousands, so many restaurants. <laughs> and uh, obviously, Los Angeles is a, a huge city, uh, a huge populace. But I, you know, I I do wonder about that a lot. Mm. We're coming to the end of the program. Yeah. Wait. Um. um. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, we you just could have got been doing new... that the whole yeah, time. Yeah, we could Wait. Oh. Oh, it's just one clap. Oh. <laughs> this is also a good one. Oh, the Welcome to College new... Radio. Yeah, we oh. just got this, and we've uploaded all of our um, sound effects, so we use it all the time now. Yeah. It's so exciting. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't get the air horn when you announced <laughs> me. I, just feel... I thought of it, but I wasn't quick enough. Oh, oh man. It's still new. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so great. I love those. <laughs> I'm all about the cheesiness. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, we are coming, unfortunately, to the end of our hour. I didn't know we had that. Aw, one. Okay. Yeah, Not it's like, one. Every time now. Able to. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I can't believe that was an hour. I feel like that went by so yeah. quickly. I Thank know. You guys. Always I happens. Um, we have uh, one more question for you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> so what advice would you give to students or anyone um, interested in getting into food publication, like, you know, food industry in general? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I get that question sometimes from people, um, people from the chef side, people from um, usually not people from the writing side who are already in journalism, but maybe like students or something, mm-hmm. like people who want to know. Uh, and they're like, how do you get that job? And really, um, the unfortunate answer is just like a lot of work for a lot of years. Like I've, <laughs> I've been writing... Uh, in in journalism, maybe since like my first internship was in like 2006, so that's been a long time. But um, just in food journalism, it's been it's been almost a decade, and it's a lot of um, build your clippings, diversify your portfolio as well, and again, just stay curious about as many topics as you possibly can, and um, you know, try not to get discouraged. I know, which is like the, mm-hmm. the saddest, like everybody does, everybody in general, even when you reach like the highest peak, like you're going to get discouraged. But um, 
you know, just if you are sending out pitches and people are not responsive or they don't want to publish your stuff, you know, like publish it yourself, you know, like just, you know, keep pushing and uh, know that what you're doing is great and don't be afraid to ask for help, I think. Um, when I was, sur- I was like a really obnoxious uh, journalism student, I think, <laughs> and I would like blind email editors at publications I wanted to work for, like Paste Magazine when I was in college was like where I wanted to be. And uh, I remember I like blind emailed, I went through their masthead and I blind emailed like three or four of their editors and like sent them my clippings from my college paper of like, my Darjeeling limited movie <laughs> review. Like anyone wanted to read my like stupid student uh, like review movie review of this like Wes Anderson film. But uh, I got a couple responses back and one of them was like, oh, you remind me a lot of myself. Mm. And that's one of the things where reach out because you never know who's going to respond. Mm-hmm. And that's also how I got an internship at um, the AV club. So, mm. you know, you just push blind email stay on people uh, <laughs> and, you know, just send whatever you have, a mass clippings. And uh, I guess this is like seven minutes worth of advice that I'm giving, I guess. That's perfect. I, uh, yeah. you know, I, want, I want everyone to succeed. And, um, you know, there, as much as I was talking about how difficult it is in media and how everyone seems to be downsizing, you know, know that there are still media jobs out there. Uh, not everyone has pivoted to video or they're pivoting back. And, um, you know, there will be a place for you even if you have to make it yourself. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, and you're thank welcome. You for the advice. We loved having you on our show. <laughs> thank you so um, much for coming on. Yeah, you were listening to UCLRadio.com's The Menu um, with our special guest, Stephanie Brejo. Brejo. Yes. Thank you so much for having yeah. me. This is awesome. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. Um, if you enjoyed today's show, um, consider donating to UCLA Radio. We're in the middle of our pledge drive. Um, you can donate at spark.ucla.edu slash UCLA Radio. Um, anything. Anything helps. Um, yeah. Consider donating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And stay tuned for the next show. Um, we're going to be live 24 hours today and then you know, for the rest of the week. So you can tune in anytime you want. Um, And we'll see you guys next week. Bye.